0: This morning's teaching text is Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless him. His name, for the Lord is good. He's, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hello again. Whew, that's a hot mic. You thought I was just doing the announcements. No, you're stuck with me for the next bit of time, um, Sean. Myers, who's our lead pastor and our teaching pastor, was on vacation last week, and he's back in town. They had a great time um, in California, and he's over serving in the nursery. So if you have a little one, pray that Sean doesn't drop your baby or something like that. No, he won't. He won't drop your baby, I don't think. Um, Let me kind of set the table for you a little bit here, because it's going to be a little bit different than what you're used to if you've been to Redemption Peoria before. Normally, we have this rhythm of we read the scripture, and then Sean Typically, we'll come up and he'll unpack the text verse by verse for about 40 minutes or so, and then we have some corporate response because of that text. Um, It's going to look a little different this morning. I'm going to review some of where we've been in the book of Psalms and remind us of some of the structure of the book because it's so large. Then we will will look at Psalm 100 and we'll unpack it, but it's going to be a shorter amount of time because not only is it one of the shortest chapters in the Bible— But I want to have a conversation with Josh Miles, who's the man that is typically leading us in music, about music, because the scriptures point us to that here, but then also in the book of Psalms, it's uh, a ton encouraging us to sing, and so having Josh up here giving an apologetic for like, why do we do that? Like, Why do we sing? Is it just tradition? What is that about? So we're going to have about a 10 to 15 minute conversation with Josh. So it's going to move a little faster than normal when we're actually in the text, just so you know. So if you have a Bible and it's not already open, open it up, please, to Psalm 100. And the Psalms, as uh, most of you know, let me just remind you that the book of Psalms is 150 chapters as mentioned, it is the longest book in the whole Bible. It has the longest chapter in all of the Bible in Psalm 119. It has the shortest chapter in all of the Bible in Psalm 117. And it's really a collection. It's a collection of songs and poems and prayers for God's people. It has an intentional structure, but this structure is often missed because it's so massive. Like, you probably don't just sit down and read the whole book of Psalms in one sitting. Like, I'm guessing that probably doesn't happen. If it does, that would be pretty unusual. So sometimes it's hard for us to remember that structure because we just pull these chapters somewhat out of context sometimes. And so let me lay out the structure and remind us of the structure that Sean reminded us when we first jumped into this eight weeks ago in the book of Psalms. Um, There's tons of different poetry and art and songs, as mentioned already, But they really fall into two main categories. The two main categories are psalms of lament and psalms of praise. Psalms of lament and psalms of praise. And the psalms of lament, the word lament is just an expression of great grief. And the purpose of those is to express pain and confusion and anger about how horrible the world is and specifically how horrible the circumstances are that the the psalmist is writing about. And really... the lament psalms help us draw attention to what's wrong in the world, and they ask God to do something about it. Which that's helpful for me to hear, that it's not just all about, oh, Jesus is great. and Like when we really look at the reality of the world, we see that lamenting the problems of the world is an appropriate response to the evil in the world. There should be something inside of your stomach when you see news stories or you see loss, you just go, it's not supposed to be like that. Like, it's not, like, whether you're a Christian or not, there should be scenarios where you look and you go, that's not right. That's not right. And the lament is a proper response to that reaction, of saying, God, change it. That's not right. So we have psalms of lament that express that, and then we have psalms of praise. And the purpose of the psalms of praise is their prayers or songs of joy and celebration of the good things in the world. And they're reminders of God's goodness and what he has done to tell those stories. That even in the midst of the brokenness, there's still beauty because of who God is. And it's interesting, when you lay out the structure of all 150 chapters, you start to see a pattern that begins to emerge. Even though in the first half of the book, up really until about Psalm 90, you see, like, um, there's a couple psalms of praise and some instruction in those first two chapters, one and two, but then it's like, It's primarily lament psalms. It's mostly lament heavy in the first half of the book of psalms. But then once you turn the corner in chapter 90, it's almost all praise psalms up to 150, which is really interesting when you think about it, because I really think it mirrors and it's kind of a microcosm of our life or our prayer interaction with God. And we even see that even in smaller doses of a chapter, like chapter 42 or chapter 43, where it's intensely lamentful at the beginning. God, this is, my enemies are surrounding me. I feel hopeless. I feel like I'm drowning. But then there's a, turn, there, there's a corner that gets turned when they start to remember God's goodness and they start to praise him at the end of that lament. And so as we think of the idea of lament, lament, oh, now it's praise, it's praise, it's praise. That should kind of mirror our attitude or our prayer life with God. And it doesn't mean we have to ignore the pain, which is so refreshing. It doesn't mean like, no, that's, that's, it's good. It's not bad. It's not, that's not what we're talking about in the book of Psalms. The Psalms is very honest with the pain and reality of what's happening in their circumstances, but they don't, they don't stay there. They get honest, and then they look forward to what God is doing, that all of it is going to be over at one point, that God is going to come back, and he is going to fix everything. Man, that's really healthy for my soul, to be reminded of that process that we don't have to put on a fake face in church and act a certain way, but we can be real with our emotions and then we can let those emotions shift and change to praise, to forward thinking of what God is going to do in the future. So again, that's a little background just to remind us of some of the context of Psalms, and especially as we were in Psalm 73 last week, which is more of a lament, and now we're looking at Psalm 100, which is obviously more of a praise. So, Again, open your Bibles to Psalm 100 if they're not already opened to that, and we are going to unpack these five verses, and it's going to go pretty quickly. So hang on if you can. Um, Before we start, I want to suggest and make the argument that verse 3 of these five verses is extremely pivotal. Just like when we see the meta-narrative of all the Bible. Right? That in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates, and he creates goodness, and everything is in right relationship. It's this word in the Hebrew, shalom, that everything is peaceful and perfect, and that it's good. But then in Genesis 3 happens where we begin to not believe God. We start to think he's holding out on us. We get tricked into believing, like, our way is better than God's way, and we make a mistake. Humanity does. And now sin, the Bible's word sin, enters into the narrative, and it has a ripple effect across the whole story. So after Genesis 3, the continual of the Old Testament is pointing to somebody, somebody that's going to come back and is going to fix and eradicate this problem, a coming person, a Messiah, as they would say, all through the Old Testament. It's pointing to a future, and we believe as Christians that that person is Jesus. Right, that he fulfills those prophecies in his life, death, and resurrection. And so all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to the cross. Then you have the Gospels, which is the eyewitness accounts of Jesus and his interaction and his followers. His death, his resurrection, and then the rest of the New Testament, which is about the church, is actually pointing back to Jesus on the cross. Right, So the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The New Testament points back to Jesus. And if you take Jesus out of the equation, like it doesn't, the story doesn't make sense. The narrative doesn't fit together. He is so key in understanding the Christian faith, right? So I want to argue that it's similar here in these five verses, that verses 1 and 2 actually point to verse 3 and anchor themselves in verse 3, and verse 4 and 5 actually point back to verse 3 as well. So that's where we're going to start. We're going to look at verse 3. And then because of verse 3, I think there's some natural things that happen that we'll see in verse 1, 2, 4, and 5. So if you have a Bible, look at verse 3 of chapter 100 in the Psalms with me. It says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are the people. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The first thing we have to know about this verse is the word know. The word new can mean a lot of different things. You can say you know me because you know my name, you know where I work, you know my kind of my height, you, you know my statistics, but you don't know me like my wife knows me, right? She knows me in an intimate, relational way. She knows deep, dark corners of my heart that I share with her. And so when we're talking about this word know in the original language in the Hebrew, it's not this know of like, yes, I know God, I know who he is, it's... Much more relational. It's experiential. And it's saying, know that the Lord, he is God. This word Lord means Yahweh. It's the God of the Hebrew people. In a time when there were people that worshipped many different gods, polytheism, right? They would worship this God named Baal for rain. They would worship this God named Asher. They would worship this God named Dagon, right? As they worship different pockets this text is saying, no, like, the Lord, the Hebrew God, is only one God. And now, because we're so enlightened in our culture, we wouldn't say we build altars of different deities and things like this. We, re- we really don't have idols in our life, right? But we totally do, right? Like, we worship other things all the time instead of God. We build up these altars, whether it's money, it's security, maybe it's a relationship, and the Bible is saying no. Like those altars need to be smashed. Those idols need to be crumbled under who God is. That he is God. And once you have a knowledge and experiential knowledge of that, there comes an issue like you begin to submit to who he is because of who he is. And so it doesn't matter what he's asking you. If he says, "Listen, this is what I want you to do." If he's really God, and you really believe that you will Follow him. there's no other option. You'll follow him. Know that the Lord, He is God. Understand and experience that is He who made us. We are His. This is another thing that butts up against our American culture, even in Christianity. right? Sometimes I don 't know how Christianity got presented to you if you're from America, but it may have been kind of like, okay, come to Jesus, He'll offer the forgiveness of your sins and, and all of that is true. But if it's framed in kind of this kind of like a la carte, like I need religion, and I'm looking across at all the religions, and like Christianity seems to be like the best religion, so I think I'm going to take a little bit of that. I I don't want hell, so I'll take some heaven. I'm going to ask God to forgive me for my sins, but I'm going to go about my life and not really. This is kind of, it's all compartmentalized. This verse shatters that mentality. It is he who made us, and we are his. His you don't belong to yourself after bowing your knee to Jesus. You just don't, right? Like like there's a different mentality of understanding like, listen, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. And he calls us to himself. We are his people. We don't belong to anybody else but him. So having known that in verse 3, That you would know experientially who God is, that the Lord, he is God. I want to suggest that there's four things, indicators, that would be based that you really do know God. You know him in a real and true way from this text. We're going to start in verse 1. The first thing that I think you find if you know that the Lord is God is you have joy. You have joy. Verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth when you start to know who God is in a real intangible way, you can't not be joyful. And it doesn't mean you're smiling and happy all the time, even to the point we already talked about with lament, but like you have this deep satisfaction of joy. And you want to shout it. Like you want to tell everybody, all the earth, make a joyful noise. And Psalm 1611 talks about in his presence is fullness of joy. If you really know God, you will have a deep joy in your life. The second thing that we see as a natural result of knowing that the Lord is God is that you'll have a servant attitude. You'll have joy and you'll have a servant attitude. Look at verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Once you start to understand who God is, and really who he is and what he's done for you, man, you can't help but serve. You can't help but serve with gladness. And if you've been with us for a long time, at the very beginning, a year and a half ago, when we started meeting in this building on Sundays, we looked at the gospel of Mark, the eyewitness account of Jesus and his travelings and his ministry. And in Mark chapter 1, we get this story. Jesus is ministering to people. He's healing people. And then in, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 29, listen to what this interaction that happens. Mark chapter 1, verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon, who's also known as Peter, Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. This is, like, really interesting to me because every time I read the Gospels and I'm, talk, I'm thinking about the disciples, like, I'm just thinking, like, they're these single dudes, like, they're fishers or, like, they're a tax collector and nobody wants to marry them, you know, and, like, they're out there and Jesus comes, like, hey, come follow me. And they're like, let's do it. Let's do it. It's like college students. They're just like, let's go. And Peter's married, right? Like, what did that relationship look like? Like, I don't know if he left for three years, like, the military and just stayed with Jesus, like, the whole time and then came back after those three years. Or, like, did he come back, like, every night or was there, like, a furlough? Did he come back, like, one night and be like, babe, babe, I walked on water today. (laughs) And she's like, what? What are you talking? No, 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 sweetie. Like, I stepped off the boat and I, like, walked on water. And she's like... You're crazy, Peter. What are you talking about? Right? Or did he come home like and be like, listen, sweetie, I know I'm not supposed to tell you this. But, like, there was this thing. We went up this mountain, and and Jesus, like, transformed. There was, I don't know if it's going to be called the transfiguration, but, like, I'm not supposed to tell anybody about it. But, like, there was these beams of light. It was insane. And I imagine she's probably just like, Peter, you have lost your mind. Help me with the kids. Like, I, I don't know. What that would look like? I'm so curious of that because I'm in ministry. Like, what was that relationship look like? That totally doesn't have anything to do with the text. Um, other than Peter's married, okay? We see that he's married because his mother-in-law has a fever. And then look how Jesus interacts with her in verse 31. And he came and took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and the fever left her. And what did she do? And she began to serve them. And I get there's cultural context here in the sense of a woman was serving how she was the host. But like the point is like when you encounter Jesus and you know him and he changes you, oh, you want to serve him. You want to serve him with a smile on your face because of what he's done for you. So if you really know that the Lord is God, an indicator of your heart will be, am I serving? Am I serving him in the church, right? Like we have plenty of opportunities to serve. We have to set this thing up. We've got to tear it down. This is not our building. We need Sean's over there throwing babies, you know. Like, there's plenty of opportunity to serve in this body. There's also opportunities to serve outside of this body. Are you serving? you have a servant's heart when you think about your relationship? So, again, natural results of knowing that the Lord is God. One, you will be joyful. There will be a deep joy in you. too. You will have a servant's attitude. And then the third one that we see is gratitude. Verse 3. Sorry, verse 4. Third thing, verse 4. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. This idea of gates and courts, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament language, God set up shop in what was called a temple And there was an outer gate, and then there were inner courts. And so this verse is pointing to when you walk into those gates, when you walk into those courts, you are walking into God's presence. And so as you think of as you walk into God's presence as a Christian, when you go to him in prayer, do you go to him with a thankful heart? Like are you entering into that time thanking God? Because, honestly, sometimes I go in to my time with the Lord and, like, my attitude's not thanksgiving. It's like arrogance. It's like entitlement. It's kind of like, God, okay, like, I need, this needs to happen today, God. Like, I don't know if you see what's going on, but, like, you need to fix this. It's not an attitude of thanksgiving. I don't think it's wrong to ask for things in your prayer life, but what is your heart attitude as you ask for those things? And for me, when I find myself starting to drift to that mentality and that attitude of my heart, it's because I forget. Like, I forget what God's done for me. I don't remember. I'm, I'm listening to all the noise of all the other people around me that aren't trying to walk with Jesus, and I'm starting to buy into it. Right? I'm starting to buy into the culture And I need to stop, and I need to step back, and I need to be reminded of what God has done for me, that he has pulled me out of such a deep and dark place. And that makes me thankful. That makes me have gratitude for what he's done. But if I don't ever think about that stuff, if I don't ever meditate on it, like, I'm just going to forget, and then my attitude, it's not going to be one of thanksgiving. What is your attitude like when you go and spend time with Jesus? Again, if you really know God, if you know who he is, you're connected with him, you will naturally be thankful. You'll be joyful. You'll have a servant attitude. You'll have gratitude. And then the last one from verse 5, you'll have security. And it's interesting, when you look at the text, when you look at the chapter, there's five verses there. And as um, Josh Miles and I were talking this week, he made a note as he was typing in what you're looking at on the screen, the text. He goes, Do you notice the punctuation in this passage in all of these these five verses? Take a look at it. The first four verses all have exclamation points, right? And then the first five, verse five, is just periods. It's almost as the psalmist is saying, like, listen, I'm so excited about what God's doing. Let me tell you about his goodness, that I want to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, that you need to know him, that you would enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his court's with praise. And then he kind of calms down and he says, this is why. And this is why I'm so excited. I need to shout it. Let me help you remember. It's not just about making a big noise, but like because of verse 5, because what? Because the Lord is good. Oh, we need to remember that. Right? In the midst of our circumstances that God is good. He's making a statements. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. There's a sense of security that is an overflow of knowing God, of really knowing who he is. That I can be secure even in the midst of my circumstances. Even when it's crazy, I can still sit in the reality that God is good. His love and his faithfulness will go on to generations, and when I start to think about all my idols, all the things I build up in my heart that I worship, that I run after for joy and satisfaction, every single one of those things will fail me. At the end of the day, they will. Your bank account, if you're putting security and hope and joy and how much money you have, eventually that money will run out, even if you keep making more money. Eventually it will run out. Your relationships, even if they're good things, your spouse, your family, if I am putting security and worshiping my family, they're going to let me down. Their love isn't steadfast from generation to generation. It's just not because they're not meant to be God. Those things, money, relationships, family, those those are lousy gods. They're going to let you down. But the the God of the Bible, this God that they're talking about—if you really know Him, He has never let you down. Just stop and think about that for a second. He has never let you down, ever. Never let you down. He's so consistent in His love and His grace and His mercy, and He keeps coming back to you even when you run the other way. Let's let's invest in that. Can we remember that God is good? If we are his people and he is our master, we need to know that he's a good master. And he's so good to us. His steadfast love endures forever and he is faithful to all generations. Let that sink in. Don't let that just go by you and then walk out of here. Like that should frame your thinking for the week. That God is really good and he really does love you. So those are the four natural results of knowing that the Lord, he is God in verse 3, that you would have joy in your life, you'd have a servant attitude, you would have gratitude, and you would have a sense of security because of who God is and because he's good. So the question is, how do I know God? How do I get to that experiential knowledge of knowing that the Lord is God? I want to offer up two applications for us to begin to understand how do you know God. Um, And before I offer those things for us to do, I need to say this, um, apart from God's spirit waking you up and changing you, and apart from Jesus' work on the cross and resurrecting and beating death, you have zero shot at knowing God. Zero. Like, you can do the things I'm going to list out, those two things, But until God draws you and changes your heart and pushes you towards Jesus, who changes everything on the cross that gives life, and there's this transfer from life to death, until you make that decision, which the Bible talks about regeneration, like you're not going to know God. You're just going to play games, and you're going to get frustrated. And so those two things need to happen before I go into the next two things. That God would reveal himself to you through his spirit, and he would reveal himself to you through his son. If those things haven't happened for you, you need to pray, God, reveal yourself. Start investigating the claims of Jesus. Is he really who he says he was? And see what God does. So the spirit and Jesus introduce you to the father, and then after that introduction, that's not the end of the story, that's like the beginning right, of your spiritual journey. And so how do you continue to know God, know that he is who he says he is? Two things I want to suggest. One is the Bible. God reveals himself to us through this book. I don't know if you think this book is just a bunch of old fables. I don't know what you think. This is the realest thing you've ever encountered in your life. And I remember... When I was in junior high, my oldest son's about to be in junior high in like a week. He's sleeping up there. Um, He's not really sleeping. Maybe he is. Um, When I was in junior high, I remember getting notes passed to me. You remember this? This the 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 newer generation. You got probably texts or something. But like people used to write on like paper with a pen or pencil, they'd write it up, and then they'd like fold it into like this origami, like something crazy, and you'd have to pull like, there was like, it was crazy, you needed like an architect to figure out how to work it, but I would get, I would get a note from, never from the source, right, like it was three times removed, as a friend of a friend of a friend that would say, hey, I'm going to give you this note, hey, this is from Jessica, I'm going to give you this note, It's like Jessica's nowhere to be found, so I would try and open the note, I would open the note, and then it would be like, you know, John, heart, heart, I like you. And then it would be like four other things. And, like, I'm looking at this note, and, like, I'm, like, doing my best to dissect it, right? What does this mean? <laughs> like, this is very important for a junior hire to know. Like, what, what does she mean? Like, does she like like me? Or does she just like like me? Like, I that's, th- that's really interesting. I need to know. Does she like 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 me? Like, how much does she like me? And so I would go back, and I would talk to her friend, and then I would talk to my friends, and I would say, what do you think this means? And I'd read it over and over again, and I'd start to investigate. What, what are the claims of this note? Very intentionally, because I needed to know. I need to know. Do you investigate? Right? Do you, like, sit in this book daily and look at it and say, what does it mean, God? You're trying to reveal yourself to me. What do these words mean? I need help understanding this. Do you create space in your schedule to do that on a regular? Not in like this, oh, I feel good about it, I read my Bible today. But No, like, what? God, this is, you're revealing yourself to me. What are you trying to tell me? To know God, you need to do that. Right? We all have 24 hours in the day. All of us have the same amount of time in the day. How you choose to spend that time will determine what you really value. If you care about God, if you want to know about him, you'll create space to study this book. You will. You won't just talk about it. If you, if you care about your body and your health, you will exercise. You won't just talk about exercise. You'll actually exercise, even if it's painful. This thing is hard to read. Anybody read it? Right? This, it's, it's really hard to read. But lean into it. Man, there's so many tools that can help you understand it. We need to be spending time in the Bible if we're going to try and know who God is. If we want joy in our life, if we want to be a servant, if we want gratitude, if we want security, we need to spend time listening to the words on these pages. We need to read our Bible. The second thing is we need to be around people. We need to be around people that love Jesus. Right? By God's design, he has created it for us to be understanding of who he is being around other people he reveals himself and his attributes through you people right as i interact with you and you give me grace when i mess up on something man that's that's revealing to me like why are you giving me grace it's a mirror of god's grace as i reach out to be intentional to love you that's a way for me to know god for you to know god through our interactions it's very clear In the scriptures, it talks about you loving somebody else as a way to love God. So we need to be around people that love Jesus, right? And that's why we're always pushing you to community, go to community, go to community, right? Because you're around people. You're around the Bible. You need people to reveal who God is to you so you really know him. I mean, imagine just taking out everybody that's ever had any spiritual influence in your life. Take them all out of your story. Where does that leave you? There's people that God has put in front of you to help you in your spiritual journey. God reveals himself through his people. So you have to read your Bible. You have to be around people. And then the last thing is these things tie together with what the text points us. And then in general, the book of Psalms is that we come on Sundays to listen to God's word, be taught, to be around people. And it blends together when we get to sing. When we get to sing. So I'm going to ask Josh to come up here. And we're going to talk about, like, isn't this weird? Like, we walk into this room that we don't really know, and, like, we just start singing? That's weird. Listen, if you came to to Christ at a, a, a late time in your life, you didn't grow up in the church, and you walk in, I love listening to conversations about people that came to Christ later in life. And then I'm like, tell me about your first time at church with the singing. And it's always interesting. It's crazy because they're like, yeah, I just walked in. And people were singing. It was super weird, you know? Um, so we need, a, we need a defense, Josh, for why we do what we do. Um, let me give a little bit of background, Josh. Before I do that, let me frame some of this time. The reason I wanted to bring Josh up, not just because he's my buddy, but um, if you've ever seen the 1990 classic, The Sixth Sense, Okay. Unbelievable film. If you haven't watched it, you need to go watch it. Um, And I'm not going to spoil it for you, even though everybody that's seen it is like, oh, I know where you're going with this. Um, At the end of the movie, Bruce Willis is one of the main characters. At the end of the movie, there's something that happens. And you're like, You're like, what? What? And it changes your whole perspective on the movie. You have to, like... Back in the old days with the VHS, you'd rewind it. But, like, you would have to go back and watch the whole movie over again because this piece of information changed the way you thought about the narrative. So, as we get together and we talk about music related to worship, it's not I'm not building it up too much. This is real. This is super real. My hope is you would start to understand when you walk in here on Sundays, we're not just singing some songs to sing some songs. Like you would begin to shift your perspective, it would be a deeper, richer experience for you. Based on what we're about to talk about, no pressure. Okay. Josh and his wife are from uh, the great state of North Carolina, the Tar Heel State. Yes, and they uh, they've been out here for the last ten years as God brought them west. And Josh, you've done a myriad of different jobs coming out here. You are a worship pastor full-time for a church. You led worship at a counseling kind of healing center. Um, but when we first met about three years ago, you were back in finance, which is what you kind of studied. You were working at the bank. Um, and we encountered each other. And this is a crazy story. I shared this first service. But um, about three years ago, when we began, there's a core of us that were at Redemption Arcadia that felt like God was— pushing us towards planting a redemption in the West Valley and it was Jim Ellis myself and Sean and we all sat in this coffee shop and we're like okay we're gonna do this we're like yeah and we're like we don't know what we're doing um, and we're like we really got to trust Jesus for him doing works and we're thinking about specific gaps of like and we don't have any for for kids ministry or we don't we looked at each other and we're like do you, do you know anybody for music like you got a music guy over here do you know somebody else? And we all looked at each other and we're like, we got nobody. Like, uh, I don't know what we're going to do. But we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to trust God. That very day, Josh Miles emails Luke Simmons, who's a pastor at Gateway, and just saying, hey, I've been looking at redemption. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to invest my gifts in the body. Like, do you guys have anything on the west side? He says, email Sean at Arcadia. There's three Seans at the time on staff at Arcadia. So Josh happens to email Sean Myers that very day. So we have this conversation in the coffee house, we're like, I don't know, we're gonna have to trust God. Sean goes home and checks his email, and Josh says, hey man, um, I want to email, see if you need, I don't know, I don't know what you emailed him, I didn't read it, but that's crazy, right? So we're so thankful that you um, took the step of faith, and now you get to help lead us. You are part-time here with us now, you're also part-time somewhere else working, and um, Share a little bit about your music history. Like, did you grow up going to church singing songs? Like, share a little bit about that story.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so my story, I I didn't, I grew up in church in the way that a lot of Southern people grow up in church, which is, we went on the big holidays and um, always wanted to go watch football when we were there. Uh, We went a lot when my parents fought on Saturdays. We would go every Sunday. Like, so there was a period, there was a stretch of time. In my early like teenage years, where we went like every week for a long time, which was great in some regards, but um, I hated it, and so because one, it was like everybody was going to hell every week, and if you got hit by a bus, when you walk out of here, where are you going to go, and I'm scared to cross a road, and um, we sang all these hymns that uh, and I hated hymns. I could not stand them, because we either sang about it'll just be great when we get to heaven and leave this God-forsaken place behind. Um And everyone kind of mouthed the words in the hymnal, and no one really sang, like including my parents and um the choir guy sang, and then the choir was muted i don 't even think they were on they were just for looks and so I, I just kind of got pretty cynical to it all that 's just my church i don 't know about y 'all's but um if you 're from the south, but that was that was my deal so that was kind of my early deal left uh kind of just church altogether, came back high school, early college, so I missed a lot of the nineties worship tunes that some people, I but in the 2000s, we are still singing them, so uh, I learned some of those there, and uh, yeah, then started leading worship in some sort of vocational capacity since about 2008. Yeah.
0: And you didn't even like, um, you, you didn't have a guitar until well, even college, right? Like you didn't start picking up music, explain a little bit that.
1: Yeah, so I wanted a Jeep Wrangler, a puppy, and a guitar to get girls, and uh, all I got was a guitar. <laughs> and I left it in the car. It was all cold, and it broke, so was, it was bad, but I got another one. It's cool. Um, they felt bad for me. Gave me a free one. Yeah, I didn't grow up singing. I didn't grow up playing anything. I thought that was dumb. I played soccer, and some people thought that was dumb, but um, my mom wanted me to have some lessons, and I didn't do it. But.
0: Good, so talk to us a little bit about um, every week that you lead our time in singing. Like, it's, there's very... Um, much an intentionality to how you pick music and then what order those songs go in speak a little bit to that um, Let us behind the curtain of that process a little bit
1: Yeah, um, in terms of the order It's uh, what redemption talks about a lot the the true story of the world, which is creation fall redemption restoration Kind of the story of the bible and so we frame our songs in the same way um, So it, we, if you pay attention to some of the little slides we show in between you know, adoration, we adore our God, we confess our sins, Jesus saves us, we are assured of his grace, and then he sends us out. So you get a song and benediction, that kind of thing. But um, that's kind of the order. In terms of what we sing, um, it's all about words. Words matter. There's a there's a New Testament scholar who, um, a, a quote that I read of him, and he said that, show me a church's songs and I'll show you their theology. And I think it's true. I think uh, we kind of are what we sing. And so words matter, and so we, I look through songs and songs and songs and songs, and we don't do some songs here that I think are good songs, but maybe aren't as good as some other songs in terms of their lyrical content, um, because we want to try to make sure that when we sing these words, that ultimately we're singing the Bible, um, it's Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly um, as you teach and admonish one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so... Ultimately, that's the aim is any word that we sing is pointing us back to the story of the gospel and that ultimately um, we sing the scriptures together.
0: That's good. Uh, last question. <clears throat> when you think about music, as, um, as specifically worship music, talk a little bit about um, like why you think that's formational for our spiritual development, right? We come in here, we hear from the Bible, we hear that taught, we're in community. Like, Why are we spending all this time
1: singing? It's science, singing, singing, uh, you, you remember words when you sing. Um, my daughter can sing the ABCs because of the ABC song. She can sing, We Will Feast in the House of Zion, which is crazy, but she does. Um, it's kind of weird. Um, yeah, like you think TV jingles, Lerner and Rose, The Way to Go, call 977 So if I need legal help, that's probably the number I'm going to call if I'm injured in an accident or at work. Um, do we get in trouble if that's online that I put I don't know, we'll cut it. I cut it. Um, yes, yeah, so you remember things. Think of like Alzheimer's patients, they're discovering like they'll play songs and they can't remember their husband's name, and then they hear a song, and they can go right back to when they were 23. And um, So there's something about singing that forms you in a way that you remember words. And so if we're focusing on singing good words that are scriptural, then our prayer is that we'd remember the Bible more. Um, Yeah, it's formative in terms of our affections, our emotions. Obviously, you guys know that singing has a weird, um, and music in general just has this unique kind of ability to um, affect you, Um, even if you don't like singing. But you can remember being at a concert or being at something where you heard a song and it can take you back somewhere, or it can bring back smells or people that you haven't talked to in forever. And so, um, obviously, when we think about the Lord and we're singing about Him, remembering that we're sinners or remembering what jesus did for us stirs our affections in a way that i think is real and not for the sake of just making you guys feel something so i think that's uh, another piece is formative and then ultimately um my aim when i when i pray over these things and, and or even talking to some of our other guys about it is that um it prepares you for um and me for when things hit the fan and uh we need to have songs to sing when there's loss. We need to have songs to sing when people die, when people have miscarriages, when people have divorce. We need to have stuff that we can sing to remember that God is still who he is in the middle of that. That's a quote I heard back in, I don't know, 2010 or something. There was a, a theologian, his quote said, our corporate gatherings should um, prepare you for your encounter with death. I'm like, great, no pressure. So um, I'm trading my sorrows got cut at that point for me. Um, and it's a good song, but... Um, thinking about when things come, like, do we have words that we can sing together and to one another and ultimately to God? So
0: That's great, man. Well, Josh, we're so thankful for you and your wife and your family and your leadership as we try and figure out, like, it's super awkward, just like reading the Bible, sometimes learning songs, and, and you lead us so well um, to the foot. My wife has continually said when she's dying in a hospital bed, that's not going to happen. I just want Josh and Aubrey next to me. I just want Josh with his guitar singing songs. I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, one more thing.
1: I know for, like, church, it's easy to go. And, I, I mean, I pay attention to y'all. I, one, I'm very thankful our church is a church that sings. I mean, I explain to people that ask me about Redemption Pure, and I'm like, dude, our congregation rips it, man. It's awesome. We can do acapella stuff in here, and no one cares. and It's really good. But I know, like, for some people, like, for me growing up, its I don't feel comfortable doing that. I don't want people to hear my voice because it's terrible. And I know for y'all, I mean, I know some of y'all. So, um, but here, here's the deal. Like, the question on this stuff is not, do you have a good voice? Um, the question is, do you have a song? And if you're a believer in Christ, if he's rescued you, you have a song. And so that's why we sing. That's why we try to do it we, do it. we try to do it as good as we can up here, and we get it as loud as we can so that if you're terrible, no one cares. But even if we do hear you, you have a song. So that's, I think, scripture commands us to sing. So that's my, your, your off not off the hook
0: let's pray on that father thanks for josh and god the way you've gifted and wired him and his passion to uh take people to your throne and uh how he does that through music thanks for him and the ministry that he has here god and i'm just thankful uh, for how you have used music to form and shape me um to know you better and i pray that that would be the case for all of us in here so we love you and thank you pray this in your name amen Thanks, Josh. As we kind of close, um, we've been doing this uh, through the book of Psalms. Um, I'm going to read something. So if you would stand to your feet, we're going to read. I'm going to read the passage again, and then we're going to respond. So I'm going to read Psalm 100, and there will be a break after I read a couple verses, and I'm going to extend my hand, and you will respond. You alone are worthy that God, to know this God, to know that the Lord is God, he is the only one worthy of our love and affections, and that should push us towards that. So Psalm 100. forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Okay, you can have a seat. I want to uh, close with one last illustration, then Jim is going to come up and um, orientate us for our corporate response. I want you to imagine yourself that you're in a large house. And in this large house, there's two groups of people. There's people that can hear, and there's people that are deaf. And in one of the rooms, you see a man sitting in a chair, and he's listening to music on his iPod. He's tapping his foot to the rhythm. He's drumming his thighs. He's swaying to the beat. His entire body moves in response to what his ears are hearing. It's obvious that he's enjoying himself, and he's listening to a pretty good song. A few minutes later, one of the deaf men enters the room. Seeing the guy listening to the music, he thinks, that that looks fun. I want to try that. And so he sits down next to him, and he begins to imitate him. Awkwardly, at first, he tries drumming his thighs and swaying to the music, just like the guy with the iPod. And with little practice, he begins to catch on. By watching and trying, he begins to mirror the other man's actions pretty closely. But although he eventually gets better at keeping the time and the rhythm, he concludes it's... it's, This isn't as much fun as I originally thought, and it's a lot harder than I thought. After a while, a third person enters the room and watches the scene. What do they see? Two people apparently doing the same thing, apparently listening to the same thing. Is there a difference? Absolutely there's a difference. The first man hears the music, and his actions are a natural response to the music's rhythm and melody. The second man is merely imitating the outward actions. Being deaf, he's not listening to anything. There's an important spiritual parallel here. The dance or outward actions can sometimes represent the Christian life, while the music represents the grace and knowledge of the gospel. Many of us have come to understand the Christian faith by external rituals we've seen people perform. And we are often like the deaf man in the story who tries to perform the dance without hearing the music. Our spiritual life is reduced to a series of dance steps, external behaviors, and activities devoid of God's animating and transforming power. God's desire is not to get us to do the dance, but to get us to hear the music of the gospel, to know him in a deep and intimate way. So as you hear that story, what character do you identify with? Do you really know God? And because of that, you have joy. You have a servant's attitude. You have gratitude. You have security. Or are you like the death man in the story that you've been going through the motions? You've gone to church and you've kind of imitated, but like, man, is this really all there is? My hope would be you would take Jeremiah 29, 13 at heart. That says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you really want to know God, he's not hiding from you. If you feel like I don't really get, like start praying, God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me and begin to investigate the claims of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks again for your word. God, thanks that you... Call us into goodness. And Jesus, we need you. Uh, We need you to change our mentality, our hearts, so that we can praise you um, continually with our life. And so, Father, I pray that that would be the case today. Be with us, Jesus. We need you. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.